Hello, everyone. Welcome to the new podcast series from the Speak Up Project of Isaac in Malaysia for summer 2021. So the Speak Up Project aims to engage Malaysian youth and secondary school students in for equal English and STEM education so that every Malaysian is built with the confidence to speak to the world. As the first episode to open up the new podcast series, we will be discussing the global emerging trends in technology, which are blended learning and open source platforms. We're very excited to have Mr. Chong from Chumbaka, the national learning partner for our project here with us today. Mr. Chong is the chief learning officer of Chumbaka and they're dedicated to educating children with the right skill sets and values to navigate the changing future. Let's give a warm welcome to Mr. Chong. And Mr. Chong, do you mind introducing yourself a bit? Ah, thank you. Uh, thank you, Ping Yen. Uh, so it's such a pleasure to be here uh, today. <laughs> um, so let me quickly introduce myself. Uh, so uh, I used to be a Teach for Malaysia fellow. So uh, I was teaching in school for two years. Uh, but before that, I actually graduated from an engineering degree. <laughs> uh, but the you know when I go into school, uh, the first thing that they ask me to do is actually uh, do a uh, sorry teach a subject in uh, history, uh, <laughs> right? From an engineering background to teach a subject in history, uh, it was a tough call, but I actually enjoyed it. Right? It gave me a whole new perspective to the history of Malaysia and how relevant and uh, it is to uh, today's. Uh, you know, situation uh, in, our, uh, in our current situation in Malaysia today. Uh, so not just that, right? Uh, on top of all uh, the history lessons that I teach, um, uh, I actually run an initiative. Uh, we call it the Maker Act. Because at the point of time, as an engineer, uh, I, I truly believe in how the kids should be really prepared for the future, right? Uh, the technology is coming up, the jobs of the future is going to be very, very different from, um, you know, what we have today. So that's where I also ran an initiative in the school, whereby I gather the students to actually play with technology, right? Play with computers, uh, start playing with coding, start playing with electronics, start trying out like uh, Lego robotics to uh, Arduino and things like that. Then from there, I realized that, hey, you know, if I'm only doing the initiative in school, it's only uh, that many of students. Why not I run it nationwide? So that's where me and a couple of other uh, friends uh, and some of the engineers that we met in uh, Penang, uh, we co combined forces together uh, and we actually start up uh, Chumbaka. So Chumbaka is a social enterprise that runs technology enrichment program. Uh, at the end of the day, really is to... Uh, get the students the right skill set so that they can navigate the changing future, right? Yeah. yeah, that's a little bit about me. Thank you. Okay, so yeah, I would just like to thank you uh, again, Mr. Chong, for joining us today. And we really look forward to uh, insights that you will be sharing with us. So yeah, without further ado, let's talk about uh, blended learning first. So I'll start first. For what you know about blended learning is like a combination of face-to-face -face and virtual learning. So, uh, Mr. Chong, do you mind sharing your opinions on the background of blended learning? Because I believe not all the audience truly understand what blended learning exactly is. 
I guess, um, all right, so face-to-face, -face, uh, uh, sorry, it's a combination of offline and online learning, right? So just now you mentioned there's a face-to-face -face element and then there's like a uh, online element whereby you are um, in, how to say, interface with the students, right? But actually, most importantly, right, it's not that while you run lecture in the lecture theater, and then when you go online, you also run lecture theater. It's not something like that. It's more, it's a shift of mindset uh, from a teacher's perspective. It's where you are shifting from teaching to a facilitation of a learning mode, right? I, I give you a couple of examples, right? Things like, you know, let's say today, normally I suppose, Ping uh, Yen, your lecturer will be, I mean, in an offline mode, right, face-to-face -face mode, they will be standing in front and then showing you F equals to MA, all the physics theory and things like that, right? So, so, so instead of doing that, right, uh, when I go into blended learning, I will be actually sharing with you, Pingyan, uh, all the videos that you should go and watch. And then when we come face-to-face, -face, you tell me what you have learned and we have a discussion together. And it's not just discussion, during that face-to-face -face time, Let's do exercise together. Let's do practical together. And I feel it's a very powerful tool uh, going back to the shifting of mindset from teaching to a facilitation of learning mode. So that's actually the most important uh, paradigm shift over there. Uh, so there are three key areas uh, when you run uh, blended learning. Or of course, these are all theory, uh, right? Uh, but we can actually bring it down to uh, practical. So the three key areas are really uh, you know, there's a digital and active learning content that's given to the students so that they can engage with. Uh, there's a guidance on the learning experience and there's a way to customize the material to strengthen the uh, learning experience. So in other words, right, the, the first is the content itself, the digital, oh, sorry, it can be a digital or it can be an active learning content. Uh, number two is more on the learning experience. How do I curate the learning experience for you? And number three, uh, what are the appropriate assessments to know that, hey, you have actually learned right along the way. So uh, the, there are three main components in order to do this. Uh, number one, of course, is the in-person classroom activities. And then there are bite-sized information. So of course, you don't chuck the students uh, 10 hours of lecture <laughs> uh, to video to for them to watch, right? So that's not right. So maybe three three minutes, three minutes or four minutes, four minutes type of video to chuck it to the students and for them to chew. And the last component is really uh, the structure independent learning time, a time and space that you protect so that the students is inside that space, then they can learn independently. Is that time for them to take for them to think properly before they actually you know, eat and then vomit out in the exam. So, so that's that's generally how uh, blended learning looks like. Thanks for sharing uh, the general uh, background of blended learning. So, you mind sharing like the origins of it, the origins for blended learning? Or it's any... actually quite interesting, um, <laughs> the fact that I come from a STEM background, right? Um, as I dig deeper into uh, blended learning and found out that uh, this concept of blended learning, the history of it, right, comes from uh, the training for technology. So it's a technology-based training. So imagine like right now you guys are learning. I mean, Ping Yen, I know that you are from a computer science background. You are doing a computer science degree right now, right? Yeah, so yeah. you guys are doing a lot of 
programming, a lot of coding, and you need to learn things like that, right? So it actually stems from the training, whereby it is not a lecturer that stands in front to ask you to say, hey, what is this variable equals to what? Or you know, how do you declare functions? How do you declare loop? It's not something like that, but rather, right, it uh it this blended learning is an alternative to the instructor-led uh, training. So, and this is back in like 1960s. How they do it? Basically, they give the mainframes or the mini computers to the students and they put them in front, they ask them, try anything, just try anything, break it, whatever. Then from there, from all the failures, they put people, uh, they, they, they bring people back to uh, space and then they discuss about it. What exactly is the learning they managed to discover? And that's how, you know, they totally flip the whole learning structure. Um, of course, you know, you can no longer give every student uh, a mini computer because it's expensive. Then slowly it transforms into a CD, right? Uh, back in the days, we have VCD, uh, we have DVD, right? So uh, they give the CD and DVD to the students and actually bring home. Either they watch it as a video, like a lecture video, so that you don't spend, you don't treat the lecturer as a Windows media player, right? Every day you go in, you just press the play button, then you talk the same thing. The next year is the same content. Um, so in this case, they use the CD to replace that lecturing uh, format. Uh, and then what the students do after they watch, they bring it back to the classroom and say, hey, it's what I discovered, and let's try something practical in the classroom. So, and until today, uh, what we also discover along the journey, right, is that from a mini computer or mainframe to a CD-ROM, and today we have people like uh, Khan, uh, Khan Academy, who started Khan Academy to actually help students in that sense, whereby that CD-ROM is not just based on how many CD that you get to distribute, but it's based on how much accessibility of the internet the students have. So everywhere, right? One teacher upload the work or upload their video on the internet, everybody get to see. So that's that's how powerful that I'm seeing it spreading across the globe, uh, blended learning happening right now. Okay. Yeah, that's really um, very insightful, um, in-depth knowledge about blended learning. So here, I would like to pass a question, another question to you, Mr. Chow is, uh, what do you think about the popularity of blended learning in the education field as of now? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> it's very interesting that um, you asked about popularity because uh, a lot of people want to do blended learning, but it's not that easy. Uh, it's not common among the teachers and definitely not uh, a typical teacher. Uh, some of the forefront educationists are really trying it out. But I'll, I'll just put it out there, uh, something for... All the listeners to be to be ponder upon this quote. Um, it says, "21st century kids, right, are being taught by a 20th century adults using 19th century curriculum and techniques on a 18th century calendar." So, if you ponder upon that, it's like, yeah, all the kids today are learning everything of the past, but not of the future. That's why we are so like your teacher or your teacher before the teacher of your teacher, <laughs> they have been using the same method over and over again, and they don't know what is the alternative and therefore they are not able to break it out. So the short answer to your why blended learning, uh, what's the popularity in, in the education field for blended learning, right? It is not popular, but there are certainly some people who say, 
trying to put it in for you know everybody to do uh. the difficult bit is really when a teacher is, is not doing the so-called teaching job they are not like saying something it feels like they are not doing the teaching seriously if you if you try it out right uh, i mean i sometimes i also have to resort to uh, the format of teaching simply is because there are a lot of times the teachers uh, sorry the students they are they are taking a step back and they are not owning the learning so when somebody is not owning the learning then the teacher has to step in and say let me own the own learning but of course that becomes a spiral whereby you know the more teacher own it the most the less students will own it so i that's why whenever uh, somebody is like trying to adopt this uh, uh, blended learning right i will always say that uh, just keep reminding like who is doing the thinking or who is doing the learning is it you as a teacher or is it you as a student so blended learning actually put the workload back to the learners uh, whereby you right again if i give you a video you gotta go back and actually watch it and then bring it back to our classroom and actually have a discussion if you go home and you don't watch it you bring to uh, you come back to classroom then the whole place is going to be silenced and a lot of times teacher will easily fall back to traditional teaching simply because they are not comfortable with that silence right it's like oh everybody not not doing so coming back to a saying right when the teacher is ready uh, sorry when the student is ready the teacher will appear but a lot of times before even the students is ready the teacher has already been there or the parents are already there ready for the students so this is this some of the fearful things are that um, that 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 we discover along the way and some of the it's very forefront and it's not something that a lot of the people are willing to take the risk even especially parents right so they want academic achievement but they are very fearful of failures in among their kids because of that right then the teacher lagi lah want to teach even more then they don't dare to adopt something that is unfamiliar to them uh, and we are not allowing enough room for failure to happen so maybe i can ask you back up again <laughs> right relate it back to your to your to your own uh, schooling life right like what is your biggest learning that you managed to discover yeah for me i think my biggest learning so far is actually um try to make more mistakes when you're young compared to when you're older um this is let's give a situation or example of one of my biggest learning is when I was younger, maybe around uh, secondary one or two, I didn't really focus much on my studies or kind of neglect my studies due to I'm kind of addicted to watching anime at that time. And it somehow made me made my results kind of deteriorate and I kind of got the last I got the last place in class and I didn't really change my attitude, not until I reached until uh, secondary three. Um, when I'm required to take my uh, one of my major exams, which is uh, PT3, come to a sudden change or a sudden realization where um, I'm supposed to focus on my studies and like put other distractions aside first, because this is one thing that might determine, this is one of the key factors that might determine my future. So somehow uh, I do believe that it's okay to make mistakes when you're young. It's like, I don't, not to say I regret for not focusing on my studies when I was young, but like I think the key thing is to always have a sudden moment of realization of your own uh, past mistakes. Yeah, 
it's um never too late to change in my opinion yeah as long as you've uh, realized what you have done wrong yeah so it's, it's quite interesting right um this this story of yours right relates back to uh, you know the notion of when the student is ready the teacher will be there and the teacher will appear and in this case the teacher is not the, a person teacher the teacher is an experienced teacher the teacher here is a pt3 as a teacher who's teaching you that hey time to study all right so so it is it's quite interesting that uh you know hearing this uh from you right and i'm pretty sure it's not uh unfamiliar to a lot of the everybody out there i'm pretty sure it's not unfamiliar right and 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 this is where you know we come back to then what about that first two years um we, we come back to this whole form of like learning right engaging learning and uh, getting people to really thinking right so in a way you felt that the first two years probably you have spent a bit more time on something other than study and 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 this comes back to the point where uh you know how like actually a lot of parents nowadays uh, they actually seeing all these uh, situations they'll rather put the students out of school and actually get them homeschooling and allow them to have uh, the time and the space to go and explore things that they are interested. When the time is ready and they know their kids are ready, then they'll put them back into conventional uh, education stream. And that's where the learning happens faster and that becomes a teacher, okay? Thank you so much for asking me that interesting question and listening to my sharing. So, um, just want to um, have a follow-up question is like, um, Mr. Chong, in your opinion, like how does blended learning transform uh, our current education system generally? Generally, okay, cool. I, I won't be able to tell uh, from Malaysia education yeah. system. So, uh, I mean, pandemic actually helps a lot. Uh, pandemic, okay. I mean, despite all the problem and all that, right? Uh, you know, for the past 10, uh, close, close to 10 years, I think, uh, uh, Ministry of Education uh, has spent a lot of money investing into not just blended learning, right, in terms of transforming teachers' uh, teaching and learning uh, mode and things like that. Uh, and they have spent a lot of money and uh, allowing, uh, encouraging teachers to use a different style of teaching in the classroom. But a lot of times, uh, like I said, like, right, uh, you, they, they fall back to uh, comfortable region and it's, it's nothing wrong all right because um, they, they are under a lot of pressure to perform um, and when the pandemic happens that's where it forces the teacher to really think totally 300 uh, sorry 180 different uh, to actually give them the, give the students assignment give the students um, a video to watch uh, people to uh, uh, and then when they have sort of like a synchronous session that's where they start talking um, I've seen teacher in Sabah uh, who did amazingly well with uh, this form of work. Uh, there's this teacher, her name is uh, Teacher Anutra. She's a chemistry teacher and a science teacher in the school. So the kids are all locked down, you know, at, at uh, school, school at home. Sorry, everybody is staying at home. Nobody can get to school. So what they do is they actually, uh, she actually make video and send it to the students and actually uh, let them watch. Right, because some kids uh, at a certain period of time, their internet is down, so they can watch it at their own time. Uh, but she will arrange a time 
to gather everyone back to share their work and they will do experiment together on the spot. So, which is interesting. And then they, she also discovered that a Google Meet uh, is taking out too much of bandwidth for the kids and the, uh, the internet in Sabah is actually not very well. So the students actually suggested to her that, hey, why not we use Discord? So they went on Discord, right? So the fact that the teachers are able to adapt so quickly, right, simply because of, uh, number one, the preparation that they had uh, for the past 10 years. Number two, uh, the, the, the fact that they, the pandemic actually forced them to do it. It's honestly an eye-opener. I hope they continue doing that kind of stuff in school. Uh. I mean, that goes with, uh, without saying that, uh, you know, there's a lot of problems still to do with our country's infrastructure. Uh, you know, students' uh, ability to go online and the students are, uh, having the, the device to go online. Right, so those are some of the things, and in other parts of the world, it's actually quite in interesting. Right, uh, Khan Academy has done a lot. I I, I keep on emphasizing on them because they are the big giant in the in the in the industry. Um, so Khan Academy uh, actually helped some of the uh, maths uh, teachers in El Salvador, and they actually integrate into their uh, class system. And imagine, right, students just. Uh, watch uh, Khan Academy video while the teacher will help out the weaker kids, right? The faster kids while following the video, uh, the weaker kids and the teacher will teach one by one. So they do this for about 3,500 uh, primary school students with their teacher. By doing this, right, they manage to achieve 0.2 school years, right, in within a year itself. So which is quite interesting. A 0.2, you'll be thinking, actually, it's quite little, but it's 20%, you know? So it's like, I'm spending one year, but I'm actually getting 1.2 years worth of effort, right? So, 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 so that's actually quite, quite an interesting one. Um, there are a lot of uh, different uh, blended learning program that is happening. Another one is actually happening in uh, uh, Delhi in India. So one of the program that is reported in RISE, uh, sorry, RISE, let me, let me explain to you what RISE is. Uh, RISE is actually research uh, on improving systems of education. So these are a group of people, a group of researchers coming from all over um, the world, uh, mainly made out of top uh, researchers in the education sector. So one of the things that they did in Delhi is they use uh, technology uh, to combine with uh, maths learning uh, in, in the classroom itself. So basically using this uh, so-called assessment tool. So they every day you go in and then the kids get assessed on their skills, right? And then based on the assessment, uh, the assessment has uh, some form of AI in order to learn which level is the students at. And then the teacher will target that kind of students and um, basically create content according to those kind of students. So they base, by doing this, right, they are able to personalize uh, learning for the students. So those weaker students will get a different set of uh, instruction compared to the faster students or the uh, slightly more advanced students. So those are the things that uh, across the world, they are seeing um, you know, blended learning being uh, applied in classroom. Uh, and they call it teaching at the right level. So when you are teaching at the right level, meaning you are not teaching a Form 5 uh, syllabus to uh, Form 5 students, but the Form 5 students, in terms of cognitively, they are thinking at a Form 2 level. 
So they are talking about, you know, I bring down the maths to a form two level so that they can understand. So uh, that's the kind of uh, things that uh, happens across the world, uh, which is what uh, I feel at this point of time uh, is the most exciting in uh, the education world. Thanks for the sharing on different examples of blended learning. It's quite interesting, although uh, most of the examples are based on foreign countries and hopefully maybe Malaysia can able to adapt these kind of uh, blended learning styles. So I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure in Malaysia there is a lot. It's just that you know we are not hearing them. Uh, so hopefully you know someone is out there. Uh, you know, sharing on all these blended learning situations. But I'm actually curious about yourself, uh, Pingyan, right? How's your learning like in, in, in university? <laughs> all right. Um, if I'm going to ask you a question, like how's your current learning in, in uni, you know, getting stuck at home, you know, how's your lecturer teaching? Of course, we will not review your university. Well, for my university how my lecturers are teaching basically they're just providing us lectures and then assignments which somehow students could might find it hard to link the things taught in lecture to their assignment and for what i know a lot of students would tend to skip lectures a two-hour lecture and watch youtube videos which maybe like a 10-minute youtube videos which talk about more important or more insightful things that which can be applied to their assignments um, somehow that's what I also do, but yeah, we we only attend lectures for attendance. Um, um frankly speaking, mm -hmm. yeah. it's it's interesting, right? If I bring it back to a blended learning approach, right, right, <laughs> I would say if I'm a lecturer, I would say, hey, why not you go and watch this MIT lecturer that is a free video online, and let let this person teach you lah, right? Then we come back to the classroom and we have a discussion or we have a practical together, or we have an exercise together. I think that will make the learning so much more uh, powerful, isn't it? Because if I'm a student, I have, I'm watching the, the video screen and it's a structured two hours, it's nine to 11 uh, o'clock. And I have to wake up so early just to watch your video and you are babbling about some uh, something that I don't quite understand. Why not I watch the same thing with the same content, but it's done by an MIT, professor or Harvard professor that is hundreds or thousands of miles across the globe and I can watch it anytime. So <laughs> totally and, and you know relating it back to my uni uni uh, experience right I feel that lecture is not a value add from not the value add from the from the university but it's the tutorial time that is value add to my sort of like academic life. Right? Those are the times whereby I get to bring in my type of question to go and see all these um, lecturers or we call it personal tutor back then uh, to be able to ask questions and ask them, you know, how do you, you do this kind of question, uh, do this kind of maths question or how do you resolve this kind of research issue? Uh, what is the forefront, uh, re research forefront that is happening? So those are the kind of uh, healthy discussion that we get to engage in. And I, I honestly hope that it is, it is possible to do, uh, it's just that how we actually switch it around. So thank you for sharing. I'm just wondering, in your opinion, uh, what do you wish to have it differently if you know, you're going to do this whole online learning all over again in the uni context? What I wish would kind of change is like more interactions between lecturer and students. I think since now it's 
in virtual mode, it's like hard for lecturers to get in touch with students. Plus like one lecturer is like uh, how many, like maybe a 100 plus students. So it's also understandable that the lecturer cannot really reach out to each and every one of the students or like keep track of each student's learning. However, I do hope like there can come up a way, they can come up a way with um, like keep, not that they keep track of every student's learning, but at least like get to um, come up with more interactive learning where um, lecturers provide the knowledge is um, more key learnings so, yeah, instead of babbling about a lot of not so related things. Yeah, more key learnings or maybe even do like recorded videos where they just mainly focus on key learnings, key learnings for the students like to, how to say, to minimize the, I won't say minimize the workload, but maybe like save the students time. Yeah. I think this is one thing I do wish there is a change in that. Yeah. Uh, you know, Pinyan, what I'm hearing is uh, stop wasting my time, uh, even though I'm a student. <laughs> yeah. Okay, thank you for sharing. I, I, I really like that. <laughs> okay, thank you for, for asking. asking. Yeah, this is just uh, one, just based on my, my own opinion that doesn't represent all, all people. Yeah, just a disclaimer here. Okay. <laughs> So uh, here's another question for you, uh, Mr. Chong. So I would just like to ask, uh, do you have any tips and advice for like uh, educators? So when it comes to like implementing uh, blended learning in their uh, education teaching style? Oh, okay. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm in the position of advising people. Uh, <laughs> but um, here is something that I realized even for myself and I have to constantly remind myself that uh, we actually stand on the shoulders of giant and um, we, you know, as an educator, we shouldn't recreate what people have already created. There's a lot of wisdom that is already available, freely available online, everywhere on YouTube, on Instagram, TikTok even, right? Um, so, so we stand on the shoulders of giant, right? There are a lot of resources out there that is already available. Uh, we shouldn't add in and go and create another one. Why not, right? We curate the experience. I would rather uh, the educators focus more on building relationship uh, with the students as well as building that, uh, curating that pathway, curating that experience learning good at learning experience for the students so that it's more hands-on that it's more like you know practical do projects together uh do experiment together in front of the screen so those are the kind of things i mean in a way i'll give a tip uh, to to the educators okay thank you for your um tips for that now i think i will jump to uh the question on open source platforms so just since today our uh, podcast topic is both discussing on blended learning and open source platforms. So I would just like to uh, ask your opinion on like, what is the uh, background of open source and like, what is the concept behind this uh, initiative? Maybe I can ask you first, <laughs> what are some of the languages that you learn in university? Okay. Uh, languages means, sorry, uh, languages means programming languages, not uh, French or German. <laughs> I mean, okay. programming languages, what are the languages that you are learning at university? Okay, so far I've learned uh, four programming languages, uh, Python, Java, C++, and uh, HTML. Yeah, uh, each semester different programming languages. Yeah. So that's that's good, right? Um, so we were actually, the fact that you are learning all these languages, they are 
they are considered as open source, right? The concept of open source is to basically you are able to dig deep into what is the source code behind, source code behind, and actually change some of the source code. You can change some of the things. So things like you know Python, HTML is definitely open source, right? Uh, something that you can dig deeper and actually change the stuff inside there. And I mean that is at the programming uh, language level. There are pro uh, at the software level there are open source as well, whereby you can dig deep and find what are the things inside. I uh, give you an example. Uh, things be uh softwares like Adobe. Uh, what is that? Illustrator lah. It uh. Uh, Adobe Photoshop, lah, right? So all these are not the open source one because you got to pay a license in order to use them, right? The open source version alternative to uh, Adobe uh, Photoshop and all that is things like uh, GIMP, right? G-I-M-P. So you can use that. A lot of people actually build the tools in order it's free for everybody to use. It's not just free. You can take the source code and you can tinker and change some of the things inside so that right, other people, uh, so that it can be improved and other people can make uh, use of it as well. So this is one of it. Another example to give it to you is uh, Windows or uh, Mac OS. They are not open source uh, OS, right? But Linux is actually an open source one whereby you know you want to dig inside there you want to change not just your background <laughs> your desktop background but how the background actually changes or how the background actually work like simple stuff like that, interface changes ui changes you can do that looking into the source code so they actually open up the code for you to actually go and tinker and why is it becoming um, popular these days right and it's simply because number one is as cheap as possible and as free as possible uh, number two, it's basically based on the concept of collective intelligence. So it is not a team of five programmers sitting behind the desk to program out the work, uh, the thing to you and sell it to you as a license, but rather it is a collective of you know experts across the globe, thousands, two thousand, three thousand people, a community of these programmers to come together and make a software better and better and better. So the open source uh, softwares are actually really sort of like uh, up and coming, uh, not up and coming, it has already been quite some time, uh, around for quite some time. The fact that it is how we are looking at a lot of it is how these open source uh, technology are being used in learning because then, right, let's say 10 years ago, I'll give you an example. 10 years ago, a lot of the robotic clubs, right, they are running on Lego robotics and things like that. You gotta pay license for it. And you know, along the years, then people slowly go into things like Arduino, things like Raspberry Pi uh, for people to tinker with. And you can build robot with that as well. And why is it so? Because it becomes cheaper for the same sensor. I don't know, IR sensor, you don't have to spend hundreds and thousands of ringgit in order to buy, but you just spend you know, a couple of dollars to buy you can buy from Lazada, you can buy from Shopee, you want to buy straight from Taobao, also no problem. So, so that's how amazing this thing called the open source technology comes about. And that allows us, right, to bridge the gap between the old, uh, sorry, the poor and the rich people. Imagine having technology like this in the hands of the uh, people from the poorer social economic background. 
and the kind of things that they can build and do in order to uh, solve the, their own local problem, they will be able to bring that gap even closer. So that's how I see the power of this open source technology. Okay, that's, mm. thank you for really uh, giving me a lot of insights on the open source uh, softwares and platforms. Quite, quite interesting to be honest, since I'm not so like familiar about like open source uh, platforms, because based on information online, the, the information I've looked into is like kind of too deep for people to understand. But after listening to uh, Mr. Chong, your explanation, I feel like I'm much more clearer with all the all the open source uh, softwares that are available uh, online. So, yep, yep. <laughs> do, do go and check it out. Actually, it's a, there's a deep philosophy that goes behind there and why these people would come together. Actually, if you think about it, right? Uh, you know, even trace back all the way back to Alan Turing, uh, people like that, right? They are great philosophers, but they bring that philosophy to the level of computer science and they use that technology to actually want to help uh, the people from the poorer socioeconomic background and enable them and empower them to really solve a local problem at their level. So, so that's why I, 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 I am strong, I'm a super strong proponent of open source technology and how it can actually transform the education sector itself. And simply because education is in the heart of most of, how do we say uh, Education is the way to elevate the uh, people from the lower socioeconomic background to a higher socioeconomic background. Yeah. Sure thing, yeah. Thanks for the sharing and everything. Yeah, quite interesting sharing and all the background. Yeah, I think it's time. Yeah, it's time for us to uh, end today's podcast. Yeah, it's we've, our podcast for the first episode has actually come to an end. Just once again, I would like really like to thank uh, Mr. Chong for joining us today. And um, I would also like to thank for the audience for actually listening throughout uh, our whole podcast for the first episode and I do hope that um, the audience can stay tuned for our upcoming podcast episodes. Thank you so much Mr. Chong and uh, do you have any last words for our uh, audiences yeah, before we officially end the podcast? Uh, well stay safe and stay healthy. <laughs> okay thank you Mr. Chong again goodbye. All right okay. goodbye thank you very much. <laughs>